I'm Rodrigo Blankenship, and you're listening to the Savage Pads Podcast. Welcome to the Savage Pads Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Battle. First off, I want to apologize for the delay this week. I had to get COVID tested, and our guest, Benjamin Watson, had a busy week as this week was the election. But Benjamin Watson is joining us, and we're going to talk a little bit of everything, a little bit about his life and career since last time we spoke, and then we're going to take a trip down memory lane to the time when Benjamin ran down Champ Bailey, DK Metcalf style, in an AFC playoff game. In the show's next segment, Corey Amick rejoins the show. Corey and I are going to talk last week's Kentucky game, as well as preview the Florida game after our pick six and extra point segment. We've got more Chick-fil-A to give away to you guys. So like, retweet, follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast as well. You don't get Chick-fil-A for that, but you should. Stay tuned. Practice every day. Man, oh man. Mono ain't mono. He, he definitely six hour reminds me and myself. As close as we uh, have right now to rope on. When we scored, I honestly did not know where I was for about five seconds. Early on, you could see with Jake, you know, just like with Fran talking to him. Maybe one of the most underappreciated quarterbacks in the country. And we got to keep feeding the running back. I don't think we've yet to see the tight ends. I think Georgia does a great job bringing pressure on third down. Turn around two weeks later in the SEC championship, we look like a completely different team and we made them look like a completely different team. I mean, it's hard to get emotional thinking about it. And it was my job to kind of get outside the corner and uh, as soon as I let it go, I knew it was good. From that point on, I kind of began the trust of Eric Murray as my quarterback. The team was just special. I was famous. He was onside. Everybody respects the specs. That's what every Georgia fan should hinge their hopes on. Alabama and Georgia are the best two teams in the country. I feel like we are the true running back you. I have great confidence that we're going to see the personification of Georgia football. Welcome to the Savage Pads podcast. Bart Star Award winner Benjamin Watson is on the line. And Benjamin's on a tight schedule over there, so we are going to dive right into things. Benjamin, first off, it is great to have you back on the show. Last time we spoke, you had just returned to the NFL after a brief retirement. Mm-hmm. Can you catch dog fans up on the life events that have unfolded in the last year or so? Wow. Um, what has happened? Well, first of all, I'll, I'll acknowledge what has happened for dog fans over this last year in your life. I mean, regardless of what's happened with me personally, we are in a, um, a crazy time period uh, this year of 2020. So um, first thing I want to do is tell everybody that um, it's going to be okay. Uh, we're going we're to make it through this uh, together. And, um, you know, the, the best is yet to come, hopefully. Yeah. But, you know, for, for anybody who's, who's suffered, um, in any way, whether it be from sickness mm-hmm. or economically or whatever that may be. Um, I may not know you, but my family and I pray for you. So that's get, get that out the way first. Um, yeah. we have moved, moved, you know, as you mentioned, we, we played last year up here in Boston, uh, in New England, we're still here. Um, the, we had just had twins. I think when I talked to you last yeah, time, they're right. 16 months old now. Wow. Yeah. We've had uh, a lot, a lot has happened for us. And now I'm officially done. And most excitingly, I would say uh, we have decided we're going to be moving to Georgia long term. No way. And so, yeah, yeah, we have the, you know, we've been all around the country playing football. And, you know, we both went to Georgia, obviously, my wife and I. My wife was born in Atlanta. I have family in South Carolina. And so we're going to be moving to the Atlanta area uh, next year. Um, and we'll be we'll be there for the foreseeable future. So. 
it's going to be fun, um, you know, kind of getting back uh, around uh, Georgia culture. And it won't be so crazy when I see somebody with a, with a Georgia shirt on now yeah. that I'll be in Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> well, wow. Well, uh, yeah, I got a brother up in Boston and, and I'm down here. So you're, you're just moving from from uh, him to me. But <laughs> but since, since appearing yeah. on our podcast last, uh, you actually launched a podcast of your own with uh, with your wife, which is Why or Why Not with the Watsons. What inspired that project and how have you enjoyed creating podcast content with your wife? Yeah, it seems like everybody's podcasting. I was like, I'm not going to do this podcasting, but yeah, that's been rated. fun. Yeah, um, yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's fun <laughs> doing, you know, having a project that we can both be involved in. And yeah, it's called Why or Why Not with the Watsons, as you mentioned, and it's basically a parenting, marriage, relationships, um, current events, all things rolled into one um, podcast with Kirsten and I, just talking about our experiences in life. Yeah, um, talking about you know. How, how do you deal with an election with your kids? How do you yeah. talk about race with your kids? How, what are some of the ways we failed as parents? What about marriage? How do you keep a uh, a marriage? We've been married for um, 15 years now, so not a very, very long time, but we've been married long enough to learn um, that some things don't work and some things do. And how do you get back on track when you're off track? Yeah. Uh, and so it's about all those things rolled into one. Wow. Um, but but, but we're, we've had a great response and, you know, people can look it up wherever they listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, whatever it is. But uh, we're, we're definitely having fun with it. Yeah. Well, I imagine that's quite the resource for uh, a lot of people. So on the audio side of things, you got that going on. Uh, but it's also my understanding that you recently served as executive producer for the Divided Hearts of America film. Can you tell our listeners about that project and how that came to be? Yeah, um, actually, both Kirsten and I were both executive producers. And Divided okay. um, Hearts of America is a documentary. Um, it's about the topic of abortion. Right. And uh, in 2019, beginning of 2019, New York passed the Reproductive Health Act, which um, basically um, removed all restrictions. And if you can remember, um, it, it kind of, in a, in a topic and an issue that is very, very, very emotionally charged, right. and very tough for people to, to discuss, rightly so, um, because of all the implications. Um, that kind of set off a domino effect of conservative states doing one thing, liberal states doing something else. And it felt like we were all caught in the middle. And so I set out really on a journey to uh, interview um, experts in politics, in medicine, people who um, have had abortions, people who uh-huh. have not, people who are pro-life, pro-choice, people in the field of academia, um, people that were historians could kind of tell me how we got here when it comes to this issue in America. Um what are the implications? Where are we and where we're headed? And so it was a journey of about two years, and we spent time interviewing people on Capitol Hill, um, in D.C., in New York, Chicago, New Orleans. We went all around and really just to find the heartbeat of America when it comes to this contentious issue. And so that released um, a few weeks ago, actually, is streaming now on um, SalemNow.com. It's available, available for stream. Um, it's a full-length documentary, but it, it's not – we wanted to make sure that it wasn't propaganda. Mm-hmm. And so, so much of what we hear is propaganda driven, is politically driven. Yeah. I wanted to hear exactly what happens during an abortion. How does this affect people? Is this life? Is it not life? Uh, how much do we need to protect women? How much do we need to protect fathers? How much do we need to protect unborn children? All those sorts of things. And, but, but really, really a dynamic, um, 
a dynamic collection of, of about 30 or so different interviews from, from some, some fairly well-known people talking about this topic. Yeah, so it sounds like you're bringing empathy and understanding to to really both sides of that debate, which is a in this day and age, a unique way to approach just about any, uh, any issue, but I'm sure there's still some backlash that you receive as a public figure, um, expressing any kind of viewpoints on, even when you, when you go on television platforms like CNN, how do you handle any backlash that you receive for your views or for your, uh, methods of gathering information to allow people to make decisions of their own? You know, I think that, um, Maybe my career in sports and being yelled at by coaches throughout my career <laughs> made it <laughs> a, little, a little easier for me yeah. to handle. Um, yeah. So I don't take it too seriously. I think the, the beautiful thing about our republic um, is that we should have the opportunity to express our viewpoints yeah. um, no matter what they are. Yeah. And that's what that's what tolerance is. That's what inclusion is. It mm-hmm. is the ability to express differing viewpoints on subjects as tough and as hard as abortion. Um while still respecting uh, the humanity of the person from which it's coming. Yeah. And so you know, when I receive backlash or I receive insults, all of which I've gotten, I, I've also gotten a whole lot of um, praise and a lot of encouragement. And so for, for every negative comment, I, I've had uh, other comments that were more than positive. And so, you know, it comes with the territory, but, yeah. but I truly do believe that when we talk about the issue of life, um, whether that be life of the preborn, whether it be life of, of young children, whether it's life of the elderly or the poor or the destitute, um, whatever the demographic is, whenever we, we talk about life, we have to speak up for the sanctity of humanity um, at any at any in any stage. And so I am I am more than willing to receive any backlash when talking about um, you know criminal justice reform just as much as when I'm talking about the issue of abortion. Yeah, absolutely. Well. I know this was not a politically charged documentary, but last year when we spoke, you'd mentioned that you weren't going to dismiss a potential in politics. Now that you're truly retired <laughs> from football, I um, mean, I know you're moving down to Georgia. Have you begun exploring that potential career? Um, have you seen what's going on right now? Who would want to dive into that? Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe maybe someone that. reasonable that uh, that wants to do something good for the country. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, only a crazy person like me. I, I, I feel like, you know, like we talked about last time, um, I don't quite know. You know, I, I had an opportunity, and I think I still have an opportunity to get involved with sports and stay yeah. involved with, you know, broadcasting is something that I, I would like to do. It just wasn't the right time for me earlier this year when I had to kind of make that commitment. Yeah. Being that our family was going to be moving, we didn't know where we were moving to, all those sorts of things. Um, but, but I do have a, a desire to, to help people. And to and to um, and to make people's lives better than what they are, and to and to make this country uh, better. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think we live in a country that is um, a great country. Um, we should be very very happy with you know the fact that we were born here, and we should also have great responsibility to keep it that way and to improve where it needs to be improved. And whether that's you know local or national government, or whether that's in our own jobs, whatever they may be, we can all do something. So. I don't know exactly what it what it looks like for me, um, but I haven't ruled anything out because, you know, quite honestly, God has shown me that um, He has His idea of what's going to happen, and I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I, I'm open to anything at this point. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, well, there we have it. Well, 
I do want to talk football uh, for just a moment. And I know you're just retiring from football and you're probably like, all right, we're done with football. Nope, we're still talking football. <laughs> oh, good. Hey, it's been my life. <laughs> so, uh, so there's been a moment that's resurfaced from your early professional career uh, due to DK Metcalf's recent chase down. And that was your chase down of Champ Bailey in the 2005 AFC divisional round. Uh, first off, Benjamin... I got to ask, when you tackled another DGD and an NFL Hall of Famer and Champ Bailey on that play, were there any words exchanged between the two of you or have there been any words exchanged <laughs> since then? Um, not at that time because we were both thoroughly exhausted. Yeah. And so um, running that far in the playoffs, in the mile-high air, neither one of us said anything. And I have such great respect for Champ. Um, I don't. You know, part of me taking it was the fact that I knew I knew it was him. Yeah, and he for for any Georgia player, really for for players of my generation, he he was a hero for us. Yeah. I mean, I remember coming out of high school in South Carolina, and Georgia played South Carolina in Columbia, and I was able to go to the game. And when I saw number four, when I saw Champ, it was like, oh my gosh, that's Champ Bailey, you know. And that yeah. was before I even got into college, and so. At that point, we didn't exchange any words. Uh, but later on, when we've seen each other, it's kind of like an ongoing joke between us. Yeah. Um, we were we were actually together um, in New Orleans with the Saints in the preseason of the 2015 NFL season. And so I was with the Saints. He came in in the preseason. And none of the pe- guys on the team, so that was 10 years before, none of the guys on the team really remembered that because a lot of the guys, you know, weren't even in the league at that point. They were, weren't even in college. And so at one point in the in the um, the dog days of training camp, somebody pulled it up on YouTube, and that gave us all in the locker room at the Greenbrier where we were having training camp, gave us all some great laughs um, <laughs> looking at these two, looking at these two quote unquote old guys running after each other. So. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, I know it was one of your dreams was was to be an NFL football player, and I know the other was to be a missionary. Um, and you've lived out both of those dreams in, in different ways. But last time we had you on the show, you spoke about uh, a little man of yours who has some dreams of his own. And one of those was to play for the Georgia Bulldogs like his father before him. I got to ask on behalf of our listeners, is that dream still alive? It, it is. And the thing with him, with Isaiah is his name. He's nine years old. Um, and so, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, we had some snow up here, uh, five inches like last Friday. God, that's crazy. Up here in Boston. Yeah, it's going to be a big exactly, adjustment for him coming down here. I know. He's, he's playing flag football. He wants to play tackle, but we're not on that train yet. Uh-huh. So he plays flag football, and I was looking at him out there with snow around him, and I had like a flashback to when I first came up here to Boston from the south and was playing and was playing in the snow, you know, in the NFL. And it was just really, you know, those moments you have as a father when you – kind of see something in your son that reminds you of yourself, something that happened. Yeah, yeah. But, he, but he is beyond, he, he's every Saturday, every Saturday, he comes downstairs with the Georgia t-shirt on, his Georgia shorts. He'll have a Georgia hat on. Uh, he is ready. One of the things he can't wait for, and I can't wait for it either, is when we do move back to Georgia next year, 
um, to go into our first game, really together between the hedges, oh, man. Uh, in in person, hopefully, <laughs> and um, and can enjoy it together. So yeah, he he he's he's definitely trending that way. Thanks for asking about him, but he, yeah. he's definitely gung ho football, gung ho Georgia all the way. Yeah, well, I can just tell you as someone who grew up uh, having some of those special moments with with my dad, who, I mean, my dad wasn't a Georgia legend like yourself, but um, just getting to go to the game with my dad, we had some really special experiences, and I know quite a few people mm-hmm. where that's uh, certainly an area where there's some special moments. So that's definitely yeah. something <laughs> you can look forward to coming back. And uh, I know you're on a tight schedule. You've been incredibly generous with your time. Uh, as we wrap this up, I do want to ask, do you have any last words for dog fans ahead of Georgia, Florida? Oh, man. This is a uh, – I don't need to tell anybody what kind of week this is. Yeah. Um, you know, I never I never beat Florida while I was at Georgia. Uh, dark times. Yeah. So many other guys are running to in the league that went to Georgia. They're like, what? You never beat Florida? Well, we never beat Alabama. I say, well, I never lost to Alabama then. Yeah. <laughs> so so, so every, every, every team kind of has their – they're arch nemesis, I guess. But, you know, my message to dog fans is kind of the same message I give myself every week when I turn the TV on and I watch Georgia play. <laughs> I, try to, I, try to, I try to take deep breaths, try to calm myself down. Yeah. You know, and realize that, you know, it's going to be okay. The guys are giving their best efforts. We obviously want them to win, and we expect them to win, and they expect themselves to win, um, although it doesn't happen all the time. I would tell dog fans to be hopeful. Um, I know they've heard that a bunch of times before, and we're ready for the fruit of our hopefulness. Um, but but I still have faith in the guys. I still got faith in Kirby. Um, you know, still got faith in what we're trying to do as a program. So my only message is I'm right there cheering with you. And it's funny because I'm not – I never really knew what it was like to be a fan growing up. Yeah. I always played, I always played sports. I played at Georgia. You know, even when I was at Duke before that, played at Duke played in the NFL and I always look at fans like they're crazy. Well, because of Georgia, I know what it's like to be a fan. So I'm right there with you. I'm right there. I'm right there with y'all during this, during this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome aboard. And uh, th- thank you again for taking a moment of your time to join us. We'll be keeping up with your various projects and uh, the, the impact you continue to make in our country and now back in Georgia. Thanks. I appreciate it, man. And um, for anybody that wants to know anything about you know the, the podcast or yeah. the documentary uh, I, I'll, I'll just leave my website which is um the watson seven the watson seven so we got seven <laughs> kids so yeah. <laughs> the watson seven.com and you know for me and my wife um you know we love the university and you can find out the things that we're that we're both involved in in the right. Great. Well, I will also spread that on uh, social media with this with this episode. So again, Benjamin, thank you for your time and go dogs. Yeah, man, go dog. I'll be a doubt till I die. All right, well, now frequent guest of the show and future U.S. hero, Corey Amick, returns. Corey, uh, we're going to do the pick six and the extra point, but we do need to talk Georgia-Kentucky for a moment. What did you see on Saturday uh, that, that maybe discouraged you? What positives did you see? What are your takeaways from the game? Uh, well, positives, I mean... You gotta just recognize that our defense giving up three points in a game like that, like it's outstanding. Um, like it's easy to sit back and complain, and <laughs> yeah, like even you know you and I were like sharpshooting things during the game, but it's like they played well, they played as a unit. Yeah, uh, you know they gave up a lot of running yards. Yeah, but 
I mean, they also have a lot of injuries coming out. So, I mean, that's a huge positive. It's just the fact that, you know, UGA fans can look at that and be like, that was an okay game for our defense. And like the game was also never in question of who was going to win. I would say as far as negatives, just, I mean, that was like the worst case scenario for what we're looking for on offense. Like that was a game where I personally was hoping that Monkey would let, uh, you know, Stetson air it out and, you know, reestablish some confidence and hopefully, you know, kind of get our passing game going. Um, but we kind of saw the opposite of that. And, you know, we got what we asked for last week, which was, or two weeks ago, which was to be able to, you know, to run the ball and keep running the ball when we have success. Yeah. Um, but we didn't see much more than that on offense. So I would definitely, I feel like that was a negative. And then game as a whole, you know, it is, it is what it is. It's a win. Uh, the game was never in question, but at the same time, like it never really felt like we were a hundred percent safe. Yeah. It's not fun. Cause you always feel like you're one blown play away from it being like too close of a game. And we saw that bite us last year against South Carolina. Um, but in the first half, I know you and I were talking about why is the defense not doing this? Why is the defense doing this? And yet, the dogs gave up three points in that game, and so it's like we've definitely gotten spoiled on defense to where we can be complaining about things in uh, just about a shutout of a game. Uh, the problem is, it feels like we it feels like we need that to win from week to week, even though that's not always the case. I think there definitely was a bend but not break strategy. And regardless how you feel about that type of football, like I know a lot of us watch it and we just want to be aggressive. We want to blitz and get sacks and turnovers. Uh, but it won the game for Georgia. I think they didn't risk because you look at how many points we put up on offense. If we'd given up two big plays in that game, instead of doing a bend but not break, all of a sudden it's a tight game uh, or maybe we're behind. And so, Georgia did what they had to do on the defensive side of the ball. It was pretty impressive given that we lost so many guys on defense. And we'll talk about that a little bit when we talk about the Florida game. Uh, but holding a team to three points when you've got you know five or six guys out there that aren't necessarily in your number one rotation um, is pretty impressive. But, you know, obviously the, <laughs> the frustrating part of that game, like many Georgia games in the Kirby Smart era, was the offense. Yeah, it's it's like easy to want to blame everything on Stetson because like he's the one, you know, taking the snap and whatever, but it's like, we haven't really given him like the Alabama game is the only game that he's lost us. And yeah, that's the only game that we've lost. And so it's like, he hasn't like, for the most part, he hasn't had a leash long enough to like, let him like really like lose us a game. Like you could <laughs> definitely make an argument that the reason we lost the Alabama game is that we got away from the run so early and then, yeah. like Stetson had to prove it against a really good, you know, Saban defense yeah. um, in that game. And so I think it's like he gets a lot of flack or he catches a lot of the flack for like just UGA fans' frustration about like our offensive scheme and like Kirby's hand in it more so than like, you know, him as a, a human being, him as a quarterback. Yeah, I think it's as easy as it is to criticize Kirby and this team and and – I'm probably the number one critic of of Kirby and in the offense, but um, you look at the situation, the quarterback situation. You look at the week before, Georgia is very much in the game, and we get away from the run, and we're we start airing it out more, like people have wanted for all this time. Probably at just the wrong time to do that, and uh, ends up costing us a game against Alabama. Um, and it's like I think we might overcompensate when we say, okay, let's just get back to the run 
and we do it so much that I honestly think, because I do think Georgia saves some of their juice for games like Alabama, games like Florida, even Auburn earlier in the season, we saw them open it up a little bit. Um, and it, I think it caught Auburn off guard a little bit, but it feels like in those games, we never execute LSU last year. We had to open it up some, we never execute as well as we want to. And it just seems like maybe if we played that kind of offense throughout the season, uh, it, we'd be more comfortable against some of those better teams and some of those bigger games, just throwing and catching the football. If we, if we did it on a more frequent basis, I know they do it in practice regularly. Um, and, and Kirby said something after that game where he was saying, Oh, we've gotten better passing the ball. We just didn't have to in this game because uh, we could run it so well. And I think part of that is part of that is coach speak. But I mean, I think a part of it is they feel more confident in their passing ability than the fan base does and uh, don't necessarily feel like they have to show it off if they don't have to, like for for a win. Uh, I, it just concerns me looking at, especially last year, um, the games where we did have to pass it, we couldn't. And it was like, man, why don't, you know, it feels like we could have gotten some game reps for our guys, especially with a quarterback that maybe lacks confidence at times at this point in the season, having thrown five interceptions in the last two weeks. Um, might be nice to to get him you know, in a, get his head in the right place and get him confident and comfortable throwing the football. I'll, I'll say this. I was really encouraged when Kirby hired Todd Munkin, uh, when he brought in Jamie Newman, brought in JT Daniels. And I felt like after the LSU game last year, Georgia learned their lesson as far as offense is concerned and realized we've got to at least be good on offense. We've got to at least be competitive on offense, have a top five offense in the SEC in order to be a top five team in the country with how our defense is. Um, I think, I, I truly think Kirby learned and, and was moving in that direction and has become handicapped by the quarterback situation. And so we're, it's like we're forced into James Coley mode um, because of our you know, lack of a quarterback. And it just unfortunately, it doesn't feel like this year we're going to see the offense become anything more than what it's been. And it almost feels like we'd probably be doing well to to be as good as we've been on offense this year, um, given what we've got. So I'll also say this. I feel like I'm seeing so much Stetson Bennett hate on the internet. And like, I get it. You guys are tired of, of watching him turn the ball over or whatnot. But I mean, let's not forget this kid. <laughs> he walked on at Georgia. He's certainly paid his dues. Um, He's doing. He's giving it everything he can. I mean, it's been said that he would die out there for his team, and I think I don't think you can really blame Stetson for what's going on. It's to me, it's like I mean, if I were out there giving it my all, if Georgia were in a position where I was our best receiver, um, I think Georgia would probably be in trouble. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily be my fault though, and I think some of the the hatred thrown Stetson's way is is just uncalled for. Uh, the kid came in and. Saved our season out the gate, pulling off the win against Arkansas and then Auburn, which was a surprise to a lot of people. And really, to ask any more of that out of a walk-on five foot nine quarterback um, is is probably asking too much. It's just a tough situation for Georgia right now, and uh, they've overcome a lot of adversity this year. I think beating Auburn was really impressive, given it was Stetson's first start um, coming back against Arkansas. And, um, you know, they obviously lost the Bama game and, and kind of had a frustrating week after. But this is a Georgia team that on paper, although it feels as though 
it feels as though the season's over. Every the way people talk about it, uh, like it's over, we're done. As if we lost to Kentucky, this Georgia team. I mean, at the end of the day, if they win the rest of their games, they're going all the way. Um, that's a great position to be in halfway through the season, especially going into the biggest game of the year against Florida. Um, so that I mean, that's as always. That's what it comes down to. It comes down to Georgia, Florida. Uh, Georgia's got to play their best game of the year. Last year, we were in the same position, had the same questions going into this one. Um, and so do I think that Georgia's going to run the table? No, honestly, I don't. But is it possible? Yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely possible, especially, and I'm still of the opinion that if somehow JT Daniels were to become healthy at some point in the season and come in and Georgia was still in a position that they're in now where, where they just need to win out, um, things could, could change a lot. The play calling could change a lot and uh, the offense could change a lot. And so... Uh, with Stetson Bennett, they've got to play the way they're playing and they've just got to execute really well. That's the bottom line against Florida. So I'm going to transition now to our pick six and extra point. And the extra point, we will get, we will dive deeper into that Georgia-Florida matchup. But uh, we'll, we'll begin with pick six, though. We're going to pick six of this week's games coming up and we keep a running score. Corey, you're making a comeback. You had the closer score on the extra point last week. So the final score or the total score right now is I have 20. Corey has 18 correct games on the season. Yeah, catching up to me. Uh, closing the gap, as they say. Um, so, Corey, we're going to start with the biggest game of the week, and that's number one Clemson without Trevor Lawrence playing on the road at Notre Dame. Yeah, if I'm if I'm Notre Dame here, I'm like low-key mad that Boston College kind of showed the, the flaws that Clemson has. I mean, granted, like they're playing with a backup quarterback. Um, but it's like I would much rather be walking into this game as Notre Dame with like Clemson coming off like a two or three touchdown win over BC, like probably, you know, underestimating us as a Notre Dame football team, like never really went in the big game. And it's like, all right, we can, you know, shock the giant. But I feel yeah. like now Clemson's actually going to have time to prepare yeah. and like fix those little things they messed up on. And so I feel like Notre Dame is just going to get like a, an angry and like more well-prepared, you know, Clemson team with a backup quarterback that I think will still beat them by at least 10. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy that Clemson is really favored against a number four team uh, when Clemson doesn't have its starting quarterback. But first off, you got to look at quarter Clemson's quarterback situation. And that is they have a five-star freshman. That was the number one guy um, in high school, not too long ago. And so a potential, another Trevor Lawrence just waiting in the wings and he had his struggles early last week, but, um, also showed some flashes of brilliance, uh, against Boston college, ultimately led that team to a win, seems confident now. And I will say this about Notre Dame playing on the road there. And this, I, I guess just thinking about it, the last time a backup, five-star quarterback to a former number one quarterback in the country went on the road and, and got a start and early in his career freshman year at Notre Dame was Jake Fromm. Uh, we know what happened there. That's not why I'm picking Clemson, but I am picking Clemson. I think they're the better team. I think, I think they're a top four team uh, without Trevor Lawrence. I really do. And so We'll see what happens. It'll certainly be interesting. Uh, Notre Dame's playoff chances will skyrocket if they win this one. Uh, I think Clemson's in a good spot where they can lose and get the benefit of the doubt if they win out with Trevor Lawrence back at the helm. Um, but if they win this, then they're pretty much unchallenged the rest of the year until the ACC championship game. So 
Uh, picking Clemson in this one. All right, next one. Number 14, Oklahoma State, who I picked to lose to Texas, and they did, uh, playing at Kansas State, who has been a confusing team this year because they've, they've had some big wins, and then last week they got killed by West Virginia. Um, so they're all over the place. But Oklahoma State at Kansas State. Yeah, yeah, I, I want to take Kansas State, but it's like with how inconsistent they've been, like they start off the season losing Arkansas State, they win four straight with like some pretty great wins in there, and then you know they lose by almost four touch or yeah, four touchdowns to a very mediocre West Virginia team. Yeah, so I think that Oklahoma State bounces back uh, after kind of giving that game away to Texas. Yeah, and even though they're out of playoff contention now, I think Oklahoma State will will put together a nice into the season. Yeah, I don't know. Part of me wants like sometimes when a team like Oklahoma State that I'm like they're not really a contender. How are they in contention? And then they'll lose, and then they'll like keep losing. Um, I, I've seen it happen so much that it's, I'm very tempted to pick Kansas State. And I think if Kansas State hadn't played so poorly this last week. Like before, I had these games picked before, and I had Kansas State before the West Virginia game. But after seeing that and their performance, I mean, who knows with them, but Oklahoma State just seems like a more consistent team. I mean, even when they lost, it was in close fashion, and, and they've played pretty well every week. Um, so they're less of a gamble to me. I'm picking Oklahoma State. Okay, another one that... Uh, God, I can't believe I didn't pick this last week because... I pretty much justified Michigan State beating Michigan, and then I picked Michigan. Uh, but number 23, Michigan, at number 13, Indiana, football school. I'm going with Michigan. I feel like there's too much going in the right direction for Indiana. Like, they upset Penn State. They <sighs> dethroned Greg Schiano and this elite Rutgers team we're seeing. So, like, it's got to end eventually, and I think it ends early on. And then my biggest point here, I think – Harbaugh's got to go back to wearing his navy his navy pants. Um, I think Khaki's got to be off the menu if you look at his record in big games, just as a head coach. But really, just his record the last like three seasons, he's wearing khakis a majority of those games, and he's lost a lot. Whereas with the navy blue windbreaker windbreaker pants, he's he's one and zero. So yeah, that's that's my uh, my big determinant of the game right there. Yeah, I don't know how he hasn't figured that out yet, but he's been bad in khakis. But I'll say this. I'm saying Jim Harbaugh wears khakis this week. I'm picking Indiana. Uh, the Hoosiers, uh, playoff contender, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. But, um, yeah, I think their magic runs out at some point. I just really don't like when Michigan – every time Michigan – I said this last week. Every time Michigan gets hyped, then they disappoint everyone. And, like, last week was a disappointment, and I'm just expecting it to just, like, spiral – Snowball effect. Indiana gets the dub. All right, Pac-12 action. Wow. Uh, Stanford at number 12, Oregon. The Ducks looking to contend in the playoffs. Stanford, I don't know. We don't know too much about these teams given that it's opening week for them. Okay, I'm with you on Oregon. I, I think they have a lot of potential. I love Mario Cristobal, like his persona and, and just like how he's you know leading the, the team. Um one thing to watch, and this is a trend with you know these kind of we don't know that much about them yet teams. Stanford has a linebacker named Thunder Kick. Nice. So just send them to watch out. Who knows if he starts or not? But if he does see the field, you never know. You know, could be electric. Nice. We need to start doing like Savage Pad's name of the week because 
Corey's our Corey keeps an eye on the uh, the rosters and and the names in college football. And I'm you know I'm gonna name my kid Thunder Thunder Battle. God, he's got to play football. He's got to play linebacker or running back. Um, yeah. If anything, I'll go with Oregon being the home team. Uh, okay. Technically, the two teams we have next are not eliminated from the playoffs. So take that for what it's worth. Number nine. BYU at number 21, Boise State. Uh, I have BYU. Uh, looking at their schedule, like they win this game. They play North Alabama. They have like this weird three-week break. And then on like December 12th, they play San Diego State. So realistically, I think they're going to go 10-0 and 0 this season. And then depending on what can happen in the top 10 with the SEC and Big Ten kind of, you know, each eating themselves, uh, maybe we see the Cougars end up in like that awkward six spot where like or seven where like their UCF for the last few years and they like argue they should be in the playoff but then they end up just like playing a mediocre Tennessee team or just I defaulted to Tennessee but maybe a mediocre SEC team in like the PlayStation Sugar Bowl and then maybe they win it maybe they don't but I feel like they get left out regardless uh before before we talk about this actual matchup BYU number nine in the country maybe Jeremy Pruitt like that loss to BYU last year wasn't as bad as it looked. Maybe, uh, I don't know. I feel like we should start, since they love to talk about Tennessee streaks, we should start a streak of like not that bad of losses for Tennessee. Because like, yeah, they got smacked by Alabama, but Alabama's really good. Yeah, they got smacked by Georgia, but it was close for a half. Um, Yeah, they got beat by BYU last year, but BYU went on to become a top 10 team the next season. And they clearly had a lot of those pieces in play. So and I think Tennessee still has like some streaks to hold on to um, for their recruiting pitches and how close they are and how much Jeremy Pruitt's built this team up. Um, because in reality, nothing has changed since Butch Jones was there. Yeah, I feel like you have to, I mean, if you're going to keep a list, you got you to keep a list of everything. So especially the losses. But yeah, I think the biggest, the biggest one this year is the Kentucky loss and they can add that, you know, they can basically restart their count on how many hundreds of years it's been since Kentucky has scored over like 30 points on you at home. And so it was like yeah. since 1932 for, for this season. So maybe they just restart that count. And then next year it will be, you know, it's been 364 days since Kentucky scored over 30 points you know, against us at home. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I don't know. I just think that's because... Like, we heard about their SEC streak, and then after they lost to Georgia, like, the next game on ESPN, they were like, Tennessee has the longest home winning streak in the SEC or whatever. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, they're still holding on to something. But now, like, all their streaks are gone. But it's like, let's think about this here. Their losing streak to good teams is, like, against, like, every ranked team that they've lost to has been a ranked team. So it's like, you know, maybe that's a streak. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and make my pick though. I'm going with the uh, the Brigham Young University uh, people. I think. Yeah, I'm not gonna make a joke. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna pick them. Next game, last one for the pick six: Purdue at number ten, Wisconsin. So Wisconsin remains undefeated after not playing a game last week. Yeah. So I think Wisconsin has like 22 active COVID cases, which includes you know coaches and other personnel. Um, and with all those guys sitting out for like three weeks, 
like everything points to Purdue winning this game, like, you know, upsetting top 10 Wisconsin. Uh, and if they do win this game, like their only games left, they could possibly trip them up in my opinion, or like Minnesota who could be a fraud this year, Rutgers who like anything can happen. And then Indiana who, if they lose this week to Michigan, like I think that'll kind of tell the tale for them. Yeah. So it's like Purdue could be playing Ohio state in the big 10 championship in December and they could both be undefeated. And then, you know, we have a glorious argument of, does a one loss, either one of them deserve to make the playoff, but because it's 2020 and we never get what we deserve. I think Wisconsin wins this game and the Purdue possible story comes to an end. Yeah. And then, and then we'll be talking about a one loss Purdue with their one loss being to Ohio state and a win uh, undefeated BYU fighting for that last playoff spot or, or contending for the claim of national championship after not making the playoffs. Uh, I mean, if history says anything, it's like one lost Big Ten team for sure over BYU. But I don't know if I feel like UCF has an advantage in their argument because they have like 70,000 students at any point in time due to like the vastness of their like online campus community. So I feel like BYU is definitely a disadvantage considering they're a very, uh, very niche crowd, if you know what I mean. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, um, I am picking Purdue because of COVID. I think 20, however many players, is insane. Um, but speaking of COVID, okay, and we'll just use this to move to the extra point. Number five, Georgia at number eight, Florida. Or not at number eight, Florida, but versus number eight, Florida in Jacksonville. Um, Florida, they've had like, what, 37 cases this month or like in the last four weeks. And uh, so... They might be without without guys due to COVID. They also might be without guys due to the fight. I don't know who all important was in that fight. Um, And I think we'll find out from the SEC pretty soon here. I mean, maybe even by the time this airs, so we'll sound like idiots. (laughs) What what Florida players are out or if any are out or if the coach is suspended or whatnot. And then Georgia on the flip side, you got Lewis Seen, Quay Walker, Ben Cleveland, Tyreek Stevenson, Kenny McIntosh. George Pickens, all questionable at this point. Again, this could change by the time the episode airs. Um, And then Jordan Davis, Julian Rochester, and Richard LeCount all out. So a totally different matchup than what we've been... All year, we've talked about Georgia-Florida. Georgia's got the great defense. Um, Florida's got the great offense. And now, like, I don't know how good of a defense Georgia's going to have without... LeCount, Jordan Davis, especially if Lewis Seen isn't back there and we've got two new safeties against a good passing offense. Like that is just a nightmare, especially with Davis out and not being able to plug the run as well. Um, and then Rochester, who's really the next man up behind Davis. And so I think Lewis Seen, Quay Walker, Tariq Stevenson, some of those injuries that are questionable right now will be important for this game. Uh, but like I said, it's it's a different matchup than what we've been thinking and and i guess fantasizing of all year yeah i feel i feel like this game it's not gonna be what people expect like i feel like people are gonna expect georgia's defense to kind of control the whole game and you know often just do enough and just get by and i feel like that's what should happen with what uga has shown so far but something just tells me like uga is gonna find a way to put it together in the first and second quarter and they're going to find a way to get out front. Um, whether or not we can hold on to that, you know, how UGA kind of goes into their ultra conservative, let's just run the clock out, uh, you know, game plan. I feel like that could 
kind of hurt us in the second half. Um, so I'm going with I'm going with the dogs. I think it's 27-26, and I think it's the first game really in like two and a half years for UGA where like we don't know who is going to win when there's like five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Like I think it's going to be a game where we have to put you know a drive to get a field goal late in the game. You got to put it together. Texas got to make a throw, um, and then I think you know Kirby gets his his perfect story ending where the defense is on the field with, you know, less than a minute and a half left. And it's their job to, you know, to shut Florida down and ultimately seal the game. But I think it is going to be a kind of a, till the very last minute type game um, that UGA fans, you know, both love and hate from the sake of your cardiovascular health. See, that's what scares me. That's what scares me because we haven't seen that capacity, or I guess we haven't seen Georgia do anything resembling that in so long. I'm trying to think the last time. I mean, it really might have been last time we drove down the field at the end of a game and won it really might have been the Rose Bowl. Um, so that situation already has me stressed out. But, I mean, God, just looking over the years, the Kirby Smart years, I mean, this really goes back to the Rick years. But when Georgia football teams have their back against the wall, when they're doubted, that's when they tend to play their best ball. Uh, we've seen it against Florida several times. We've seen it after losses almost every year under Kirby Smart. And so part of me is like, man, they're just going to find a way to get it done. But I do think I do think they need Jordan Davis and Lewis Seen. I don't I think it, it becomes ten times harder without those two players to win this game. I'll say I made two different picks for this game. I made one with Jordan Davis and Lewis Seen. Um, and then I made one without those two players because I think they're that I think like Georgia's got because the floor has a good offense georgia has got to make some plays on defense and losing richard lecount is so huge um because that's i mean that's the number one playmaker on that side of the ball it's the leader of the defense he's calling the shots yes chris smith can come in and, and get the job done uh, but i mean replacing a all-american safety is just hard to do against a great passing offense and so I think Jordan Davis and Lewis Seen are going to be the two players I'm really keeping an eye on this week to see what happens with them. I have, um, with them playing, I have Georgia winning 27-24. Without those two, I have Florida winning 31-24. to Don't hate on me when I don't pick Georgia because what I'm doing, and, and like Georgia fan, players, if you're listening right now, just turn it down for a sec, but what I'm doing is giving them bulletin board material so that will be extra motivated to win. Okay, players, you can turn it up now. Um, yeah, so anyway, I think Florida's going to win this game, and I don't think Georgia's any good. All right. Um, well, Corey, appreciate you joining us as always, and uh, I know you and I will be in touch on Saturday talking some football, but to all of our listeners out there, appreciate you guys listening. If you'll give this episode a retweet on Twitter, you may just get a free Chick-fil-A meal from us uh, sent your way. And so give us a retweet for that. Give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever your choice of provider is. We enjoy making these for you. And uh, man, we're, we're looking forward to Saturday and hoping for Corey's, Corey's outcome of this game. Uh, definitely pulling for the health of these players this week. And uh, man, I'll say a oh, last word for me. After seeing Dan Mullen's shenanigans this week with his team getting in a fight and him like pretty much leading it and then telling the press that, oh, and then going back on the field and 
pumping up the crowd like like he was like a pro wrestler and then telling the press that he was trying to de-escalate everything while he was wearing a Darth Vader mask. Seeing all of those things, I was like, we cannot, we cannot lose to Florida. Like Georgia cannot lose to this guy. We cannot. The whole, like, I don't know why the media has been obsessed with Florida for like four years and being like, oh, they're going to overthrow Georgia this year. But I feel like if it ever happens, it's just going to like, like legitimize them to themselves and make them that much more obnoxious. And I'm like, this man is in a Darth Vader costume lying about a fight that happened on the field. And like, like that team has no discipline. The coach is a clown. Like we cannot lose to Florida. So like if you're going to the game, be like so obnoxious and loud uh, because I would be and just let me let the noise I'm making in my home just like pass through your body and come out of your mouth into the stadium because it it doesn't affect the game at all, but it feels like it does. And so um, do that. 